today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. If they were hot, they would be on fire for the things of the Lord. They would desire to serve Him. They would be actively moving and working in their relationship with Him. But because they were lukewarm, they seemed to make this profession of Christ without really a possession of Christ in their life. They were going about the things of church and about the busyness of church. The church was there. It was visible. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at it in a minute and says, hey, you, you say you're rich. Apparently, it was, it was kind of powerful even in that area. But there was no real life in them. Apparently, they kind of blended into the culture too much. We are warned time and time again through Scripture not to be lukewarm. It's really easy to fall into the trap of busyness. We can be on fire for the Lord. Then, when we have things that we need to get done, we set Him aside. The next day comes again and we do the same thing. We're not out there sending up a storm. But we also aren't spending the time with him that we should be. Pastor David is urging us not to get caught up in the culture of busyness. We need to make time with Jesus a priority in order to stay close to him. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 3 with today's edition of The Open Word. There seems to be a pretty close relationship between Laodicea and Colossia. Now, Colossia is not one of the seven churches of Revelation, but yet there is a real close connection between Laodicea and Colossia. If you've got your Bibles with you, and hopefully you do, number one, Colossia was located about nine miles to the east of them. So again, not not very far at all. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. And listen to what Paul speaks. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 1, Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and for those that are in Laodicea. So he kind of groups them together there. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. There's a whole lot in there that, once you know the background, particularly of Laodicea, but also with Colossia, Paul says, man, I I want you to be encouraged here. I want you to attain riches, but not the riches of the world, I want you to attain the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all of these treasures, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You don't need to go to the uh, the, the citadel or the, the oracle of Apollo 
to gain wisdom and knowledge. No, the Lord will give you knowledge. Seek his face. He'll, he'll give you understanding. Rather than seeking the things of this world, and God can give you direction. Again, the word over and over and over again, Old Testament and New, speaks to us that general understanding, man. Don't follow your own understanding. Don't follow the wisdom and the ways of the world. Seek the Lord. He's going to be the one that will direct your path. He's the one that will open doors, as we read last weekend. He'll close doors for you. And again, seeking that understanding. So again, he says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Again, not only Cicero, but it was just a time of great orators. And the, the philosophies of man that were going on during those days, that it would be so easy for believers to get caught up in those things, because most of them grew up in it. They grew up in that, that culture, and so it was already a part of their lives, and they've learned the truth in Christ, and now all of a sudden they, they hear these persuasive arguments of these others in the world, and Paul says, listen, don't let anyone deceive you with these persuasive words. And he's giving that word both to Colossia as well as to Laodicea. We read a little bit later in that book, in, in Colossians, in his closing paragraphs, really how Paul uh, ties these two cities together once again. And again, he's writing to the Colossians, but this is what he writes. In Colossians chapter 4, Colossians 4, down in verse 12. Colossians 4, verse 12. I like the sound of Bible pages turning. I wish our electric ones made that noise, you know, that you just flip it over. He says in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, and he speaks, he's one of the Colossians, he says he's a bondservant of Christ, and he greets you. He's there with Paul as he's writing this. He says he's always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, speaking to the Colossians. But then he says, and for those in Laodicea. So Epaphras, this man who is from Colossia, He's there with Paul, and he's continually praying for the Colossians as well as for the Laodiceans. And also those in Hierapolis, another city in that area. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Verse 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you in Colossia, See that it's also read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, keep your place there. Turn over to chapter 3 of the book of Laodicea. We, we don't have that, do we? We don't have that. Uh, you you kind of wish you did. But, uh, gosh, Paul, what, what would you have written to them? Well, I... When you, when you understand what he's writing to the church in Colossia, and he's concerned about the Laodiceans, and then later on in a moment when we get back into Revelation, you might think that there was some, probably some stern words of correction and encouragement. Hey, stand fast. Remain true. Be faithful. Don't be drawn into the things of the world. In verse 7, he says, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry of which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Verse 17 of uh, the book of Laodicea. No, of uh, Colossians, I'm sorry. Book, <laughs> chapter 4, Colossians, moving on into verse 17. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry 
which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. Now tradition has it that the church in Laodicea was possibly founded by this man Epaphras, the one that Paul speaks about back up in verse 12. Again, the one who has really cared and loved the people of Colossia as well as Laodicea. Uh, again, from Colossia, he was faithful to the Laodiceans that, again, his care and concern. It's believed also that the church met in the home of Nympha, the one that we read about up in verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. So in the home of Nymphus was probably the church of Laodicea. And additionally, we see in verse 17 that Paul sends these greetings to Archippus, who could have been at that point in time the pastor of that fellowship in Laodicea. So Epaphras, who founded the church, he's now with Paul. The church is meeting at the home of Nymphus, but Archippus is actually the pastor of that church. Now, this would add a real personal character to what we read in Revelation when we speak about to the messenger of the church of Laodicea, that, again, if Archippus was the head pastor, the lead pastor there. Some believe that Actually, that Archippus was even the bishop of Laodicea. The only other place that we see Archippus's name mentioned is actually in the book of Philemon. You don't need to turn there, but in Philemon chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. There was a church in Philemon's house. It's believed that Apphia was, it's a female name, that that was his wife. And so the husband and wife Philemon and Apphia there at their house. And then Archippus was very possibly their son. So again, all of these things are speculations on, on the times and on the context of the word. Nothing that is a salvation issue. But again, Paul does speak about Archippus being a fellow soldier, being in essence a minister of the word. And we get that also here in uh, uh, Colossians as he speaks about that same idea. So now we look at the passage here in Revelation. So there in Revelation chapter 3 beginning in verse 14. Let's look back there again. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. You have to see what's here, once again here, that the Lord is laying out literally uh, his credentials, that there's no doubt about who he is. But I believe, again, for this church, they needed to see it again. They needed to, 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 to be fresh in it again. Who it is that's speaking to them. The, these things says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation. First of all, that idea of this, this is the one, this is what says the amen. That very word, amen, means true and faithful. Absolutely, I agree. When you say amen while I'm preaching, you're, you're saying amen. I, I believe what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. It means a truth that's being proclaimed. It's also the idea, 
literally in, in this context of the guarantor of the, or the executor of the promise of God. He is the amen of God. So when God declares it, Christ is then the amen. Absolutely, that's going to be done. It will be done as the Father says. When he says that he's the faithful and he's the true witness, again, he will not and he cannot lie. He's faithful. He's the true witness. He can be depended upon. His, his, his promises remain for us. And these aren't simply titles that are given him, like that was given to that Greek king uh, Antiochus as Theos. That was just a title. These for Christ, they're, they're true. They're, they're descriptors of who he really is, who he was, and who he'll continue to be. Faithful and true, the very amen of God. He says here, He's also the beginning of the creation of God. And he's that way in so many ways. And this deals not only with his rank and with his superiority over all of creation, but I believe that it deals with the reality that he's the very creative force of Almighty God. And we've looked at that multiple times. Again, that just as John tells us in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, he who was in the beginning, he was with God, and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men he is the beginning of the creation he is the one who started all of the creation of god and he's the one that's speaking and he says to the church of laodicea there in verse 15 he says i know your works that you're neither cold nor hot i wish that you were cold or hot so then, because you're lukewarm, you're neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, your version might be a lot nicer and say spew you out of my mouth, okay? But the actual word, the actual uh, uh, Greek word that they write there is, is to vomit, forcibly, projectile out of my mouth. It's really interesting that Jesus uses that illustration to, again, describe that, that spiritual temperament of the people of Laodicea. The city knew what it was to deal with lukewarm. Their water supply, kind of like Casa Grande's water supply, you know, just comes out lukewarm. You either got to heat it up or you got to chill it down before you can, hopefully you filter it too, but uh, heat it up or, or chill it down before you can use it. They knew what it meant to be useless in that lukewarm situation. They understood how distasteful lukewarm was. They knew that it was better to be hot or cold because at least there had been some use to them. But the way that they were, there was absolutely no use. If they were cold to the things of the gospel, they would understand that they weren't saved. The things of the gospel I'm not interested in at all. I don't want any of that. You go do your thing, I'm just cold to those kinds of things. They would understand that there was a separation between them and the truth and the hope of the gospel. They would understand that there was a separation between them and Christ himself. They would know that. If they were hot, they would be on fire for the things of the Lord. They would desire to serve him. They would be actively moving and working in their relationship with him. But because they were lukewarm, they seemed to make this profession of Christ without really a possession of Christ in their life. 
They were going about the things of church and about the busyness of church. The church was there. It was visible. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at it in a minute. and says, hey, you, you say you're rich. Apparently, it was, it was kind of powerful even in that area. But there was no real life in them. Apparently, they kind of blended into the culture too much. They were lukewarm in their faith. And you know what? Lukewarm is a terrible place to be. Terrible place. There's no joy in the Lord that sustains you. And there's no pleasure of the world that will truly satisfy you. If you're a believer and you're lukewarm. If you're cold to the things of the Lord, if if you're a non-believer, don't tell the world they're not having fun because they're having fun. Because they don't know any difference. Now as a believer, if you know Christ, if you've tasted the goodness of the Lord, and you walk away from him, the world will never satisfy you. But if you're a non-believer, man, unless the Spirit of God draws them, they think they're fully satisfied. They think that they're complete. Many, many do. Maybe Not all of them, I understand that, and that's why many turn to drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other stuff, trying to just fill that void. But there's a lot of people that you will talk to and say, no, I'm fine. You need God in your life. I understand you need that crutch. That's fine. I don't need that crutch in my life. They're cold to the things of the gospel. As a believer, when we walk away from the Lord, when we're not walking, if we're truly born again, if we truly have Christ in our life and we've walked away, we've allowed ourselves to literally slip into that lukewarmness, we will not find home. We will not find satisfaction. We're not on fire for the Lord, and the world, it just does not complete us the way that it used to. This church, here it is, right in in the, the midst of this wealthy community, and they thought that they were doing good. Hey, they had all the bills paid, they were able to do the big new building program, they were able to do this, they were able to do all these things. Everything seemed to be going their way. Jesus says, because you say, in verse 17, because you say, I'm rich, and I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing, you don't really realize that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. What a situation, again, to be as as, as an individual people or as a church. And you know the thing that I see in Laodicea? Just, I see the church of America, really, in, in a general and broad sense. I see the church of America. We're, you know, we're huge on buildings. We've got, hey, we've got air conditioning. We've got comfortable seats. We've got, we've got everything we need. You know, everything is fine. Everything is wonderful. You go to a third world country, you see people that are sitting down for three hours on a, on a, on a, on a, a wood stool, praising and worshiping the Lord, listening to the teaching of the Lord, praising and worshiping Him again, having a little dinner time, coming back, sitting on that wood stool for a couple more hours, and getting all involved. Here, if we go over the hour, everybody's getting all fidgety, right? Okay. It's just kind of ingrained into us. I know it's our culture. Okay. But really, in a general sense, the, the overall sense of the church here in America, I believe it's because of the lack of persecution on the church. I believe the lack of persecution that we've had literally over the last 200 and some odd years has allowed us to slumber and sleep 
and get to that point where, hey, you know what? We're doing well. God is blessing. God is doing, man, great things are happening. When in reality, really is great things happening. Are we deeper in the Lord today than the church was in the height of the persecution of the first century? Are we dependent upon Christ more today than the church in North Korea that, that are hiding out in, in back rooms and alleyways, just praying that they would get a little page or two of the Word of God because they don't have four or five Bibles plus electronically four or five different versions this way and on my phone and, you know, everywhere you got. They don't have that. So they're hungry for the things of God. Do you see how easily we can get caught up in that and really not even know it? To be satisfied into thinking, well, God's blessing because everything's fine in our life. Is it really God's blessing that everything is fine in our life? Because is it drawing us closer to Him or I, I got every, I got everything covered. I have need of nothing. I, I got sick. I got Obamacare. Okay, maybe I need some things. Oh, that was a slam. Oh. But it was too easy. I couldn't pass it. Okay. We got problems? You know, we pull out a credit card. You know, we got this issue? Not a problem. We got this. We got that. How dependent are we really on the things of Christ? That if God doesn't pull through for us in this situation, we're, we're going to perish. You see, that's that's the difference. And you say... Oh, man, God is blessing them because look at everything that they've got. And you see, that's the culture that is being taught in the church today. God wants you to prosper. God does want you to prosper in the Spirit. In the Spirit. But you know what? God is a whole lot less concerned about your physical well-being than you are. You say, ah, that's not true. No, it is true. Because he's a whole lot more concerned about your spiritual well-being than you are. You see how easy it is for us to equate the pleasure of God in our life when everything runs smoothly. Because that's the culture that we're in. And yet, beloved, I don't see that in the first century church at all. I don't, I don't see that in the book of uh, Hebrews in chapter 11. Those that, man, you know, I'm giving up the things of this world, and I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, regardless of what I have to go through. People who, for the faith, were willing to stand for the faith and, and, and have their, their, their bodies torn in half or be thrown to animals and say, oh, you know, but if, if God is pleased with you, that wouldn't happen to you. Everything would be fine. Everything would be wonderful. That's how God shows his love for you. Really? Then does that mean that God doesn't love the believers in China that, that, that weep? Man, when the word of God simply read to them? No, I believe God loves them greatly. I believe that God loves them greatly. And I believe that we, literally as a culture, we have slipped into... I believe, a, a, a deceitfulness of the enemy. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. The letters to the churches found in Revelation 2 and 3 repeat the phrase, to the one who overcomes. 
followed with a promise centered in God's goodness to His people. What does overcoming look like for you today? Maybe it's just getting up in the morning, getting dressed, and going out into life. Maybe it's continuing to sing His praises even through a tough circumstance. Maybe overcoming today is holding on to that small hope that tomorrow can be a better day in your marriage. Take some time today to check out those promises, remembering to hold on to Jesus because He is our hope. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. We know that life is tough, but doing life in community can make even the hardest situation more bearable. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with an invitation for you. Hey, if you're in the Casa Grande area and you're looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. At 6.30 p.m., we meet on Wednesday evenings and Saturday evenings. You can find directions and a little more about the church by visiting theopenword.com. Follow the links at the bottom of the page to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I'm excited to have you be a part of our time of Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Information about the church is at the bottom of that page, the link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Thanks, Pastor David. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Pastor David still has much to share, though, so be sure to tune in again to continue walking verse by verse through Revelation. That's right here on The Open Word. Make-